You are listening to The Collective Sounds, a podcast series of intimate and imaginary storytelling. In today's episode, we explore death, an event often met with sadness but disguised as fear. And no matter beliefs or feelings, it's something we cannot escape. So why do we communicate the way we do about death? And how do the dead communicate with us? I'm Malin, the producer of the show. Music is from sapsplat.com. Stay with me. granddad lost his life more than two months ago and it was only then that I felt a sense of fear in in what's to come next he had been sick for a while it was his leg that had a wound that wouldn't heal so when I learned that he was in hospital again I didn't think that he would die our last conversation was less than a month before one week before he went into sleep in hospital and never woke up what I found most difficult was that I had no clue on how to approach the situation or how to talk about it. I was hoping for a medical miracle, although I knew I feared the most natural thing, death. But why? For us to understand our relationship to death, we need to look at where it might have been shaped. After the passing of my granddad, I was curious to know how a non-believer in life after death like myself could still feel this slight sense of hope. Emeritus Professor Malcolm Parker wrote a piece in The Conversation almost a decade ago talking about why we don't talk about death or dying. Our conversation begins to talk about a French philosopher named René Descartes that lived during the 17th century. This guy is also responsible for inventing analytic geometry, you know the x and y coordinate system in math. Yeah. He was a thinker believing that the body and mind are made of different substances, but unified by God. Parker shares with me his personal point of view as a philosopher. What Descartes was uh, attempting was to find a, a basis for knowledge. Uh, what could he be sure of? What could he be certain of? And he he sort of came at it in a reverse manner and said, what what is there, if anything, that that I simply cannot doubt? And he concluded, after lots and lots of thinking, that he could not doubt that he was thinking. And that gave rise to the great, uh, the famous expression, uh, I think, therefore I am. Descartes believed that he could doubt anything but his mind. Because he was thinking, and because he doubted the existence of our bodies as much as of a tree or the planet, our mind must be made of something different. This split became known as dualism, and Descartes as the father of modern philosophy. So while the mind sort of remained in custody of the church, the body got in the hands of medical science which to great success showed its ability to heal physical diseases. 
But with great success comes expectations. And in a field where you cannot defeat death, religious influences in medicine caused a somewhat attempt to extend life, but sometimes that do more pain than good. So the traditions of medicine very strongly were for the preservation of life and the resistance to any kind of connection with bringing life to an end, because that in religious uh, terms um, is not acceptable. That's, that's a sin, you know, to, to bring about someone's uh, death, to cause someone's death traditionally is a sin. So that's all sort of wrapped up in, uh, in the medical ethos. So what does a more comfortable idea of death look like in medicine today? As some states in Australia has legalized assisted voluntary dying, giving the patients more control over their death, New South Wales might be heading a similar direction soon. So is this a step towards a less fearful experience with death? I think both. Yeah, I think, I think it's part of both of those things. Uh, it's, it's an illustration of people uh, becoming more comfortable with uh, the idea of death, their own death, um, but also uh, putting out a requirement, if you like, um, that they want to, as you've put it, die on their own terms. It's only one um, relatively small component of the whole picture because uh, the people who will be uh, wanting to avail themselves of this way of dying will not be of you know a very large number, a large proportion of the population. But it is a good illustration of how people want to die on their own terms. I told Parker about the passing of my granddad and the hope that I felt despite not believing in life after death. That he said this. Even though... A person may, like you and, and me, may not believe in an afterlife. Um, we certainly worry about death and we, we still have that sort of uh, uh, sense of um, questioning and uh, wondering what happens. Uh, and we try to conceive of, of what's, what's going to happen, um, even though we don't believe that anything's going to happen, as it were. So there's a sort of contrast in, and I think that that wondering and, and uh, questioning is, um, again, as you suggest, um, inbuilt. It's part of, the, part of the human condition, and I don't think we can escape from it. It was 4.34 in the morning in Australia. I had a missed call from my mom and a message that said that he had died, followed by a call again, exposing his dead face to the camera. It was the first time I saw a dead person and it scared me. When I think of our last call, I noticed how happy he was. He talked about plans for the future, my journalism career, giving me ideas that he had thought for me to explore. He made sure that I had his number and email which at that point I thought was odd, but that was it. We hung up, he said I love you, I said I love you guys too. Could he have known? The days after his death, life was different but the same. 
I was in Australia and distant from the morning felt by my family, while processing that I won't hear his voice again or ever feel his body against mine. So I have never been a superstitious person and I don't believe in life after death. But today that I started to receive Facebook notifications from my dead granddad, I for the first time felt hope in a way that I hadn't before. It was only when he started to re-like posts or call me that my logical thinking went completely out the window. Everything that he had told me in our last conversation built up scenarios in my mind. But it was scary too. At the end of his funeral that I attended online, after the priest had stopped talking or playing music, my mom asked me if I wanted to say a couple of things to him. The first thing that popped into my mind was that everyone is going to hear me. And I felt a bit silly because he couldn't. And I think that that was the moment when it hit me. A couple of days after, I unblocked his Facebook and took comfort in his presence online again. This next part is where I was led when I was not only curious in what I felt, but also in the interaction with the dead online. Associate Professor Patrick Stokes, who recently released his book, Digital Souls, has an interest in Kierkegaard and death and the moral phenomenal status of the dead. I will get back to Kierkegaard a bit later. I reached out to Stokes after I read his essay that talks about the ethical dilemma of digital souls. He touched on something called telic possibility, which was a thought experiment made by Professor David Odenberg. It means that whatever the purpose of the interaction is, it might as well be true. So in my situation, receiving notifications from my granddad, even if it's not him, if it makes me feel good, does it really matter if it's not him? There seems to be a very persistent human need to try and keep what the dead were like with us to sort of, you know, have that sort of distinctive presence of people, have that continue in the world with us. And the interesting thing today is that so much of our um, communication with each other is mediated, right? It comes through things like, well, in, in the case you mentioned, it comes through things like email, but also things like, you know, Skype, like we're doing now or Zoom uh, and um, through just written forms of communication like social media, most of which is actually fairly low depth, if you like. So it's mostly just text and maybe the odd picture here and there uh, and short bits of text. But as that's mostly how we communicate with each other, it's much easier to keep that material there when a person dies and also to keep sort of replicating it. And that means that it, it makes it easier to give the the sense of continuity or the impression that the person is somehow still with us or still persisting in the world. I guess it comes down to your comfort level. Can you find comfort in communicating with the dead? And can you overcome this barrier that it's not in flesh your loved one that is interacting with you? I was wondering if the idea of communicating with the dead came from Descartes' dualism theory and the fact that the soul had been so distant from medical science. He said this. In the 19th century, when electricity suddenly becomes 
a part of life, not necessarily a part of everyone's everyday life, but it's suddenly there. The the idea of what is this this electricity and what can we do with it weirdly gets kind of melded with the idea of of communicating with the dead and where the dead have gone. So when spiritualism arrives, so when the Fox sisters in New York in 1848 suddenly say that they've got these ghosts that are making knocking noises on their table um, and that they can suddenly communicate with the dead, that starts to then move throughout all the world. So even if people have always tried to talk to the dead and some finding healing or connection through that, are we actually doing the dead a favor more than ourselves? Or is it that we don't want to move on or or let go? You know, the idea of letting go, I think, is a little overrated, yeah. right? I mean, yes, there's such a thing as pathological grief. There's such a thing as being so enmeshed in grief that you can't do anything anymore or you can't function. I understand that. But the idea of letting go, I think, is is really kind of overrated. I mean, you don't stop loving the dead just because they're dead. They don't stop being who they are just because they're dead. The thing about keeping the dead alive is, in some sense, it is something we owe the dead, right? Um, it's not a form of life after death that any of us can look forward to, right? I end this episode with words from a Danish philosopher, Kierkegaard, that argued that the work of love in remembering one who is dead is a work of the most unselfish love. It is unrequited, for the dead can never reciprocate, and the work of love in remembering the dead is a work of the freest love. This episode was dedicated to my granddad, Åke Ringholm. Jag älskar dig och jag kommer alltid att sakna dig. Din Kajsa A big thanks to Emeritus Professor Malcolm Parker and Associate Professor Patrick Stokes, who was the guest of this episode. Be kind to one another and thanks for listening to The Collective Sounds. See ya!